Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to us, and how you're listening to us. Thank you for making the sports and the world podcast part of your day. I'm Ladarius. And I'm Chris. And I hope all of you are well and safe out there. And how are you, my man? You know, after this week of uh, college football and, and pro football, all is all is right in the world. Yeah, it, it just feels it feels right. It's like the sun and the moon. It just feels to get, you know, just feels right. So so with that being said, let's let's dive into to college football. And it was a very interesting, week, you know, for a couple of teams and and a lot of shakeups and a lot of things that, you know, leading in that will lead into this weekend's set of games. So with that being said, Chris, uh, give me your thoughts on college football week two. So first and foremost, uh, I'll actually start with a team I really haven't talked much about in the years I've been doing this with you, and that's Arkansas. Um, we briefly brought him up last season when Felipe Franks transferred to Arkansas, and then you know we kind of just left it at that. However, Arkansas had a had a game against Texas and gave them a very very warm SEC welcome. Um, not only did I get immense joy out of Arkansas just utterly dismantling Texas, but after the fact on Twitter, they said, welcome to the conference or welcome to the league or however they, their Twitter handler um, mentioned it. And it's just comical because, you know, Texas is one of those teams that that was good for a number of years that hasn't been good since – Facebook was invented, probably. Um, and th- they have like this fan base that uh, they're they're almost like Cowboys fans. Ah, we're gonna do this next year. Well, you're no longer playing in the Cupcake Big Twelve Conference. You are now playing in the SEC. And this is what I say, and I've preached this many a times that teams from these other conferences, if they stepped and played into the SEC, they would not have the path to bowl games like they have traditionally. Um, I think this is a very prime example that a subpar SEC organization that is barely a 500 team just blew the doors off of the almighty Texas, who always gets high praise and and prayers from uh, the college game day committee and and those guys. Um, So to see them get welcomed like that, um, heartwarming. Um, Some other heartwarming games around the league was the almost upset of Miami and Appalachian State. So Miami's another one of those teams that they feel the need, oh, Miami, we're so good, we're so great, we're the powerhouse. And then you almost, so you you get blown out by Alabama, which I think everyone expected. And the last time that Miami had a season opener against a top 25 team, I'll give you a hint, it was an in-state rivalry, and it didn't turn out well. Um, So everyone tuck away your turnover change, your spinner change, your winning game change, um, just, just put them all away. The repo man's coming. Um, the fact that you almost lost to Appalachian State is not a good sign. I'm going to be honest. That's um, not healthy, and you need to figure your stuff out, Miami. To have a two-point spread against a team like App State, ugh. Now, while we're talking about uh, upsets and things like that, Ladarius, I have a trick question for you. Uh how many batteries does it take for uh, FSU to lose a game? Hmm. How many batteries does it take? I'm going to say, trick question, I'm going to say it takes no batteries. 
Yeah, just one double A, and that being the school, Jacksonville State University. Ah, geez, I walked into that one. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, I like I said, I there are a few teams that I I truly truly despise in college football. Florida State, of course, is the top of them, um, but Notre Dame, I think, even pinnacles florida state a little bit more and notre dame almost got beat out by florida state and then florida state the next week decides to one-up themselves and lose to jacksonville state university who i'm sure the majority of college football fans probably had no clue who they were um you know (laughs) up until last week um so to me that shows how much disarray that um, FSU is in a, as a program right now. And secondly, that also shows me that if a double A team can beat Florida state and, and Notre Dame struggled against Florida state, where, where's Notre Dame going to go? So they're currently ranked number 12. Um, and so after I get done beating on Florida state, we'll, we'll continue there. Um, you know, Florida state, they, they Florida State themselves. I, you know, that's the, that's the best way I can put it. Um, just just a complete breakdown on the field. Um, at, at any time as as like a tier, like I, I and I think we've talked about this, like tier one, division one college organizations: Penn State, Florida, Florida State, Ohio State, uh, Virginia Tech, Georgia, Alabama. Uh, any of these schools, when you play these scrub conferences, these scrub schools. It's expected to just hammer them into the ground. It might not be politically correct and it might not be heartwarming, but it's just expected to have that type of outcome. And for Notre Dame to have a five point differential with Toledo. uh, Come on, boys. This is just, again, the the overhype that that they get, Uh, you know, Notre Dame is famous for getting pulled way too high way too early and then when they play a game of relevance they lose or if you look at it any time that they've been put in a bcs game or in a playoff game in the past 15 20 years they get smoked faster than a bowl in snoop dogg's personal pot palace you know and i'm just i'm tired of watching it and speaking of getting smoked let's talk about ohio state the overrated ohio state so this is another team that they get to beat up on Toledo and Dayton Community College and Purdue and the Bantam team for Columbus, Ohio, for, for the 10-year-olds tackle, barely tackling division. And once again, you line up Ohio State against a, a, a competent team. And Oregon's not even that competent of a team. They're good in the Pac-12. But that's like me saying I'm a good player playing in, in, in peewee basketball. That doesn't make me that I'm great. I'm just better than all of the, the lesser beings that I'm playing against. And it's the same roller coaster with Ohio City. And these fans are, oh, we're so great. We're going to win national titles. And the, the only reason that they, they make it to the playoffs is because of their path. And we talked about it. You can't choose your opponents. You can't choose who you play. And I get that. But this is just a prime reasoning of why 
we need to somehow reassess how we're assessing ranking teams because you know Kirk Herbstreit will get on there and somehow defend this loss and, and and talk about how they should probably be putting the well they played through adversity or whatever lame excuse lame duck they give well the lame duck beat them and that duck being Oregon and this was even better is it was at home that was the most satisfying thing of it all and with with this now they just need to be out of the playoff picture just forgotten about and because the rest of their their schedule if you really sit down and and break it down by the numbers um they play Tulsa next week or excuse me this coming week and then they play Akron and then they play Rutgers and then they play Maryland and then they play Indiana and then they actually have a decent game Halloween weekend against Penn State which I'm sure they'll probably choke on that one. And then they get to beat up on Nebraska, Purdue, possibly have a trap game with Michigan State. And then, of course, the the big rivalry uh, at the end of the season with Michigan. So if you look at their schedule, uh, it's also Akron, Rutgers, Maryland, Indiana. I mean, these these teams aren't well. I mean, this is one, two, three, four, five scrimmage games essentially that they get to play in preparation for Penn State and this is why I don't take Ohio State seriously and why nobody should because they play nobody when you stack them up against uh uh competent people they're gonna lose I mean it it, it's like if they like this Jake Paul guy this internet sensation that's beaten up washed up UFC dude and line him up against the current heavyweight champion or line him up even against someone his own body size this guy's been fighting people 15 20 pounds lighter than him line him up against a a competent fighter that little loudmouth is going to get shut up real quick and ohio state just met that feeling so oregon congratulations for silencing the overrated ohio state fans it was heartwarming the memes were good and i appreciated it um Circle around the rest of the league. Of course, Georgia outright blew out, you know, UAB. Um, Penn State blew out Ball State. You know, the things you should. Um, Clemson just outright dominated uh, South Carolina State. Alabama put on a clinic against Mercer. Uh, Oklahoma beat WCU. Uh, And then, you know, we'll circle into um, our game, you know, uh, the Florida Gators versus uh, the USF Bulls. And... At this point, I know we talked about it last week, Ladarius, and feel free to jump in at any time when 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 I'm going on my my tangent here. We talked about uh, uh, Dan Mullen kind of coddling Emory Jones. This was his recruit. This is his his sweet little child he raised in college sports, and now this is his time to shine. And I don't think he's shining. So for the second game in a row, he's thrown two turnovers. And we have a player on the bench who hasn't turned over a single, hasn't fumbled, hasn't thrown a pick, and is putting, I mean, so if you, I mean, and just putting yards up like they're nobody's business. I mean, just for example, you look at, at just the stats for the, the, the Florida USF game. And again, I understand USF is not is is not Alabama. They are not Georgia. But you know what? They are a semi-competent Division One school. They might not be huge, but they can hold their own, and they've held their own. At one point in time, these were this was a top five ranked school a couple years ago. 
Um, but looking at stats, Emory Jones went 14 for 22, 151 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Anthony Richardson went three for three, 152 yards, and then two touchdowns. One more yard, one more touchdown. But the differential is the lack of turnovers. You look at on the ground, both of them ran a touchdown, and Anthony Richardson had four carries for 115 yards. Emory Jones had 13 uh, carries for 81 yards, both of them, again, with a touchdown. Um, we have to start having this conversation with within the organization about the starting quarterback situation. Emory Jones is not fitting the bill. Unless if this is all some trap scenario that Dan Mullen has set that he's going to spring on Alabama and he is playing master level chess, like, like Stephen Hawking mixed with the most powerful supercomputer known to man level of, of, of 4D chess, he's going to, Dan Mullen will cost us this game against Alabama this coming week. Alabama is one of those teams, if you turn the ball over, they will score. They did it in na national title after national title, SEC championship games, or high-volume games against very competent opponents. Nick Saban believes that if you hand the ball to him, you will get, you know, you're, you're, you, you have to score. If I throw an interception to, to, to a, a, a linebacker or a corner on – the the Alabama side, I'm gonna you know their their goal now is to score points. Thankfully, uh, being that it is USF and they swapped quarterbacks out halfway through the game, and, and that, I think that just became complete disarray. And then with Todd Grantham dialing up the pressure on defense, um, luckily those interceptions didn't turn to points every single time. Um, but if we had that same mentality that that we did against USF and that we did against FAU, that's not going to work this week going into Alabama. Um, also, the other thing, and, and even the broadcasters were talking about it, is Emory Jones's footwork and his progression times look absolutely positively terrible. That last interception that he threw Whitmore was running that out route, and you've you've got to be able to hit that ball in stride and put it over the defender. Instead, he froze, made eye contact with the guy, and followed him downfield and led to the easy pick. He doesn't look comfortable throwing the ball. And it's getting to the point even running, he doesn't look comfortable running the ball. He spins, he slows down. He's, he's out there just mashing the the Xbox controller hitting X and turbo and, you know, and things like that. I mean, granted he is getting first downs and I will give him that. Um, but you look at the, the, even the attitude of, uh, of the players on the field that when, when Richardson is in compared to Emory Jones, when Richardson is in, it seems like they're playing harder. And also you got to look at the, the ball control that Emory Jones doesn't have compared to Anthony Richardson. The first two or three passes Emory Jones had, he threw sky high, and the players had to go up and jump and, and fingertip and grab. Compared to Anthony Richardson, is hitting someone on stride at full speed, had that ball on the hash mark waiting for him so the guy could turn over his shoulder, catch, run, touchdown. You can't honestly ask for more uh, of, of a of a solid play than that. Uh, you know, and Jake Copeland was the beneficiary 
with five receptions, 175 yards, and two touchdowns. And and Ladarius, I'm going to ask you now, what more does Dan Mullen need to see to make this decision? Or am I right with my crazy conspiracy theory that he's out here playing 4D chess with a supercomputer and setting up a, 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 a trap that Admiral Akbar will come back to life and scream, it's a trap, to Nick Saban? Uh, I'll, I'll, it, it's a two-part answer. Now, I, I think when we look at Emory Jones, I think this was supposed to be a game, in my opinion, that kind of a tune-up game for Alabama. So what I was looking for, I was looking for, I was looking for Emory Jones to throw for four, three, four hundred yards passing. I was just looking for him to simply look better than he did against FAU, which. Unfortunately, against USM, I, I, I'm not convinced, and a lot of the fan base is probably split on this. My whole, my whole concept to this, Chris, is I do believe that Dan Mullen wants Emory Jones to work, because look how long Emory Jones has been there. And more importantly, Chris, at this point, Emory Jones is a junior, if I'm not mistaken. If I'm, yes. If I'm not mistaken. So, here we are. He sat behind Kyle Trash. He he's been in this program, like you say. Dan Mullen recruited him. At some point, Chris, you know when you're facing Alabama, you have to play your A game, not your B minus, not not even an A. You have to play an A plus game. And quite frankly, Chris, if you ask me today who I think the starter should be. I will be inclined to say Richardson because, Chris, it's all about which quarterback gives you the best chance to win. And Emory Jones has had two starts, and he has had turnovers in both games. And mind you, I'm not knocking FAU, nor am I knocking USF. The fact of the matter is, Chris, if I'm Dan Mullen today, you see what Anthony Richardson can do. Three pass attempts, and he averaged, if you average it out, 50 yards a pass attempt. And Copeland was a huge beneficiary of that, as you mentioned. At some point, Chris, I think my whole, your, your, your concept about, you know, the Admiral Akbar, which is a very good analogy, by the it's way. It's a trap! Yeah. It, feel, it does kind of feel that way. And the reality is, if you're Dan Mullen, you have to really look at the tape and see this is game. Three. You're walking. This is your third game. And you've played, I'm not going to say two layup games, but the fact of the matter is, Chris, there's nothing that me, per, I'm not in the film room. You're not in the film room. But we're just, you know, we're looking on the outside looking in here. But the one thing I know, and me as a lover of the quarterback position, you have to put somebody in who gives you the best chance to win. And to me, Emory Jones is if Emory Jones goes into goes into this weekend playing like he did against FAU and USF, Chris, this game's going to be over by halftime. Chris, this game could be over by the first quarter. Yeah, I mean that, and that's the thing. I mean, he he threw three interceptions against FAU and then two against South Florida. So I guess yes. In the grand scheme of things, that is an improvement. But 
even one interception, that's going to put points on the board with Alabama. And the thing that honestly pissed me off the absolute most, growing up playing, and 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 now again, I'm no Division One collegiate quarterback by any standard. I'm about a foot too short and about a hundred pounds too light. Well, maybe not now, but you know, back in the day. Um, but I would, if you throw an interception, you better take your ass to that ball and lay out or make it your best damn attempt to take out the person that caught it that shouldn't have. And Emory Jones threw that interception, kind of was like, oh, and kind of like just lackadaisically galloped just to kind of play two-hand touch with him. Thankfully, uh, what was it, Justin Shorter, I think, was the one that came out and uh, uh, ended up tackling the dude. And that's that's the one thing that really truly aggravates me is that if you make a mistake, number one, own up to it and fix it, and then number two, you better make damn sure that you try to correct it right then and there. And just the 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 lack of of attempt to me, like if I was an offensive lineman and my three hundred and fifty pound ass is is trying to have the fastest forty yard sprint in pads in my career to try to tackle this guy. And then I turn around and see my quarterback just galloping like a show horse. That's going to make me kind of be like, oh, man, that linebacker would be a real shame if I didn't catch that blitz and he ended up getting smoked. Again, I don't think that would happen. But the premise is is that you you can't make these mistakes. So two things got to happen. And like you said, neither one of us are in the film room. But you know what? I'm not saying I'm an expert by any means. I'm not being paid by ESPN yet. But when you have a quarterback that has thrown five interceptions in two games with an insignificant number of yards and a lesser amount of rushing yards, and that, that can't clearly – he's not connecting with his receivers. He's not connecting them on slants. He's not connecting them on out routes. I mean, Ladarius, I bet you I can go out in my garage and grab a football right now. We go out in my backyard. I spend 10 minutes with you just throw, having you run slants and me throwing to you. There's a good chance I'm going to hit you. I, I'm gonna, I might miss a few, but I'm going to hit you in stride to where you can catch that ball and keep running. When you're And you and I are not Division One athletes by any standard at this point in our lives. And there's no reason why a Division One quarterback at, at one of the most primo schools in the country that is honestly famous for quarterbacks, you know, Tim Tebow, Chris Leak, uh, I, I don't know, um, you know, Steve Spurrier, um, you know, there, there's just no reason you can't on simple out routes or simple slants against an FAU and you're missing these. There's just no way. I get it. Game one, there's rust. Game two, you 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 used your rust card. You were out of cards now. So I'm hoping that that maybe Emory Jones has been sandbagging it the whole time. And he hits his his 10 second quarter mile and he starts bombing the ball and just overthrows Alabama's defensive backs to where their heads start spinning like they're having an exorcism or something. But I just I I, I want to see that. But I have a gut feeling that's not going to happen. I also want a brand new Lamborghini, but I also know that's not going to happen. So I'm just kind of. Connecting the dots, I guess you can say. But that's what I had to say on college football. I don't know if you want to piggyback off of anything else. Um, you know, go Gators. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, just a few things before we transition to NFL. I I think, and I want to I want to talk about Ohio State 
I'll talk about it more. There'll be a, a video I'll be doing for the podcast that'll be coming out tomorrow. And I don't, so I don't want to give away the, the trade secrets that I'm going to talk about. But the one thing that I feel felt stood out in that game to me was Oregon's run. But their their rushing attack was was ridiculous. They had almost 270 yards of total, just of rush yards alone. And and to me, Chris, and, and I know I heard the you know the red with you know how much you love Ohio State. Yeah. But but I, I want to bring something to emphasis here. It is not often. Historically, Ohio State's offense has been pretty good, but you know, but their defense has not been really that bad. And and I think I talked about this when they played Minnesota, you know, op- you know, when they played Minnesota, and the way that they were running the football. And before Ibrahim, their star running back, got hurt, who eventually is out for the year, that's a concern if I'm an Ohio State fan. Is is that you can't stop the run, and the defense historically has been, you know, pretty good at Ohio State. But it didn't look like, and this is, we're talking back, to, you know, we're talking back-to-back weeks where that defense hasn't looked great. Like C.J. Stroud, their quarterback, who went into the who went into the season never throwing a pass in college, he improved from talking about quarterback play. He improved. Listen, in the game against Oregon, he was 35 of 54, 484 yards, touches an interception. Now, the reason why I bring that up, Chris, is that with a quarterback, it's all about development. Like, even the great quarterbacks, like, even, like, you look at a guy like Trevor Lawrence, you look at you look at great quarterbacks, college and pro, it's what do you see game to game, year to year. And, and going back to we talk about Emory Jones, Chris, seeing those games, and me watching, you know, in three modes: A as a fan, B as a, you know, watching the, you know, watching him play a quarterback, and me trying to assess his development. And if you're Dan Mullen, a guy who knows quarterbacks, you have to be concerned that essentially, Chris, you've had a whole, sp- you know, you know, with COVID, let you know, wasn't a lot of time. But you've had time, and this is what you're getting now when the games count. That's concerning because Emory Jones, like I said, he's a junior, Chris. He's not He's not a freshman like C.J. Stray. He's not a true freshman, Chris. There should be concern if, if you're a Gator fan at the quarterback position. Because, listen, I said this last week. Don't expect this kid to throw for 4,000 yards this year like Kyle Trask. Just, just don't. Every quarterback is not made equal. The concern is, Chris, when you're a quarterback and you're Emory Jones and you're an upperclassman, you're junior, senior, Chris, you got to play better than that. FAU, USF, I don't care who you're playing. You need to get better and develop to be better. And at this point in the game, it's concern. And like I mentioned, Anthony Richardson should be getting more snaps. It's just like in the NFL, you know, we talked about in a few minutes. There are some quarterbacks who, listen, they need more snaps because clearly you're seeing that what you're putting out there at under center is not great. And to me, that's what I learned in college football is that, listen, you've had time. You should be better. It's like what I say with Ohio State. Ohio State, Chris, 
They better be ready for Penn State. They better be ready for Penn State. Because Penn State went on the road and beat a very good Wisconsin team. Yes, they did. So they better be ready. And 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 I'll say this before we transition. I don't want to give away, like I said, the video coming out tomorrow. What I will say is this, Chris. If you're Ohio State, and when it comes to the college football playoff, all I'll say is this. If you don't get past Penn State, there's no way, Chris, I will I have stock. I will sell every stock that I own. I will personally put wings on a pig and make it fly if Ohio State loses to Penn State and gets in the playoff, because that's not going to happen. Because there's no way the committee would take a two-loss Penn State over a potentially undefeated, let's just say, Oregon team or any team out of the Pac-12 or any of the non-Power 5 schools. There's no way. And you can book it in market. If Ohio State loses to Penn State, and I'm booking this, what, a month in advance. So you can put it on tape and you can save it. Because the way Ohio State played, they better use these next couple of games, Chris, to fix that defense. Because there's that's not a championship caliber defense. Georgia, caliber defense. Alabama, caliber defense. Even Clemson struggled, but Clemson only gave up 10 points. That's still a pretty good defense. At the end of the day, if that defense is not there, I don't care how great your offense is. You better have a defense. If you're Ohio State, you better find it. And you got a couple of games that should be winnable. I'm not saying you should blow the doors off, but you better play better on the defensive side of the ball. I'm not worried about C.J. Stroud, Olave, and Wilson. And those guys, Chris, I'm not worried. That defense did not look good. I don't care, win or lose. If Chris, they beat Minnesota, and I still said the same thing. That defense does not look good. Yep. So you know, my only counter to your argument there is this already happened once, if you remember. Yeah, I, it did. But but they, my, they, they yeah. played Penn State for the Big Ten title, lost. Yeah, but and, he, and then still got in because of of. It's, it's blatant bias. Yeah, but but here's why I, I didn't mean to cut you up, but here's why I say it's different this time, Chris, because there are now more teams now that will walk in to, by the end of the season, will walk in with either a, a one loss or could potentially run the table. So I think the committee, you like, you know, like I say, it did happen. But the reason why I say it can't happen this time, Chris, because you can't ignore the fact that that's when you put when you put the tape on, Chris. That's not a team. You're supposed to put the four best teams. Ohio State's a top ten team, but they're not a top five team. They're not even a top four team. And I, even though it did happen, like I say, it did happen. But I think what's different now, Chris, is that the Pac-12. The Pac-12 the Pac could have a legit team. Back then, Chris, the, the Pac-12, listen, they, I'm not defending that decision, but you wouldn't have took a Pac-12 team, you know, if you'll agree with me. You wouldn't have took a Pac-12 team back at that time. So now you look at Oregon, you kind of look at, you know, I'm not, you know, UCL. You're going to look at them. If you're the committee, you can't ignore the fact that Oregon beat Ohio State. You can't ignore that. If we're going by logic, Chris, you can't ignore it. This time around, 
it's not Ohio State. If they lose to Penn State, you can't do it, Chris. You can't do it. Back then, yeah, you could you can get away with the Montreal screw job. Cause that's essentially what that was. <laughs> In that situation, you know, the college football committee was Vince McMahon, and every other contending team was Bret Hart, and, and Shawn Michaels was was just you know some team was just like oh I I didn't know what happened. Yeah, was Ohio? Oh, I didn't know what happened. No, you you knew what happened. So Shawn Michaels was Ohio State. Bret Hart was a team that actually could 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 replace Ohio State. And Vince was the was the committee. It just wasn't happening. <laughs> it just wasn't happening. Like under no circumstances. And I remember that as a kid. I said, even I knew then was a screw job. And and that and I always use that parable when you talk about Ohio State because if they get in this year with two losses, Chris, I, even Ohio State fans should not like no. But they, will. Some- they, they they will. I mean, they they you know it. I know it. The world knows it. Yeah, like you, you would rather take Iowa right now than Ohio State. Like, is Iowa sexy? No, but it's not about sexy. It's about oh, the way Alabama played back in the day, like before they had offense. Like, was that oh, winning defense run the ball? That wasn't sexy, Chris. But listen, sexy gets you so far, but you know, substance gets you a lot further. It's so, but before I go down that rabbit hole, speaking of Alabama. Three Alabama quarterbacks started week one of the NFL season. Oh, boy, they did. Matt Jones, New England, Tua, Tua for the Dolphins, and Jalen Hurts for the you know for the Eagles, which we don't have to talk about because I'm not going to talk about it. So, so, Chris, give me your thoughts on week one kickoff of the 102nd NFL season. You know, uh... There's some good games, man. <laughs> there, there were some good games. Uh, you know, the opener, um, the 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 Bucks and the Cowboys. Number one, that helped me on fantasy. So I'm just gonna go ahead and throw that out there. Uh, and the last time, I'm just you know, I'm probably jinxing myself, but the last time I started three and zero and clean sweeping week one, I had a crown on my head at the end of that season. So we'll see what happens from there. Uh, but you know, game one of the season with Tampa Bay and Dallas turning into an outright shootout. I see the, the, the terrible part is that you and I laughed about this game and we're just kind of like, ah, Dallas is just going to shit the bed and, and you know, Tampa is going to walk all over them. Uh, Dallas, Dallas did not do that. Dallas stayed and fought. Um, first and foremost, you know, hats off to Dak Prescott coming back off of a very severe and very serious injury last season and then in week one he comes out and throws for 403 yards three touchdowns and an interception now granted he broke the cardinal rule ladarius that you and i set for him by he threw over 50 attempts anytime he throws over 50 attempts it normally doesn't end well um he threw for 58 but he only turned the ball over once so i can't i can't argue that um, Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb were beneficiaries of that. Uh, Amari Cooper with 139 yards, 13 receptions, two touchdowns. And then C.D. Lamb with 104 yards off of seven receptions and a touchdown. Um, on top of that, Dallas, he, uh, um, excuse me, Dak Prescott really won out and, and spread the ball around. And when it counted, 
let's not count Dak out. He used his feet to get where he needed to be uh, quick, fast, and in a hurry. Um, two problems that I see with Dallas in this game. Number one, and you and I were actually talking about this on a friend's uh, social media post, is that everyone wants to compare Dak Prescott to, to Romo and that Romo's so much better and this and that. I believe Dak has a bet, and correct me I'm wrong at any time, I believe Dak has either the same or a better record in postseason play than Romo does with less seasons. And he's only had one severely traumatic injury compared to Romo. If you looked at him the wrong way coming off of the elevator before game day, he broke something or shattered something or fell over and almost died. Um, Problem number one with the Cowboys is – Offensively, they have it figured out. You don't you don't put 29 points on the board and throw for 400 yards and then rush. Now, now the rushing game, Zeke Elliott really really shit the bed. Um, but Dallas also saw an opening on Tampa Bay secondary, which is few and far in between. And Dak Prescott definitely took an advantage of that. However, the problem and the reason why Dallas lost it's a two prong reason. Prong number one is the defense let the opposing team score more points than their offense. That's a key to failure in every single football game. Regardless of who your team is and who you play for, if you allow that to happen, you're going to catch the L. And that is what Dallas does, and they continuously do over and over and over again, is that they'll get a quarterback like Dak Prescott. And, you know, even with Tony Romo, he did play good for a couple years. But, you know, when Dak goes out and – and throws for 400 yards, puts three touchdowns in the end, in the end zone. And, you know, uh, and, and they play their heart out. You can't expect them to win when the defense comes up short, when they need to make the big stops. The second prong of this, of the loss of the Dallas Cowboys is they were ahead and gave the ball back to Tom Brady with time left on the clock. Anyone who has a basic understanding of football from the year 2001 up to now, if you let Tom Brady have the ball with three minutes or less on the clock, you just lost the game. I don't know the exact stats, but I'm sure he's probably almost close to perfect with comeback victories. Um, he, the man is a machine as much, and, and I told you guys last season, as much shit as I talked about him, uh, when he was on on the the Patriots, that when he came to Tampa, if he came and he did something worthwhile, I would retract my previous statements. I consider winning a Super Bowl worthwhile, and he came through and blew the doors off of every everyone that stepped in front of him. And once again, they gave the ball with him. It was what Ladarius like? What was it like? Ninety seconds? It was like a minute and a half left in the fourth quarter, and they gave him the ball. Yeah, like, yeah, somewhere around there, like minute and a half, maybe like minute 35, somewhere in that, in that neighborhood. Like, you can't do that. That's that's enough time for Tom Brady to put points on the board. Also, uh, you know, Dallas can give a very large thank you to their kicker, uh, you know, uh, Greg Zerlin. You know, those, those two he missed were just god-awful. And that was, that was the game right there. That, now, he did make the one when it counted to put them ahead, and I give him that. But if he would have made those other two, that would have forced Brady to put the ball in the end zone and not rely on his kicker. Um, but, you know, again, hats off to the Cowboys for even performing to the level that they did. Um, 
that's going to be a very exciting uh, team to watch, I think, this season. Um, staying in the NFC, in in that uh, that division there, I don't want to pick on your Falcons, Ladarius, but I think we need to have a conversation about them. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Thanks. Now, a lot of people want to put the blame on Matt Ryan. Ah, he's washed up. That's it. He, you know, he's done. Now, how can you put the blame on the quarterback that in a shotgun formation, he's running an ace spread formation, and he gets the ball in his hand, and by the time the ball is in his hand, a middle linebacker, an outside linebacker, a nose tackle, a defensive end runs right through the A-gap is in his, and is in his face by the time the ball is in his hands. I don't blame Matt Ryan for this loss whatsoever. Not one single iota of this is on Matt Ryan. It is on that offensive line. Now, I get it. One of their starters went out, and they had to put a backup in. But you should have done some type of personnel shift, maybe move a, 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 a right tackle to left, a right guard, something. What the, the, deep, the offensive line scheme that they played in that game is why they lost 32-6. to six. They came out very strong in the first two, two possessions of that game that they had. Granted, they did – only put field goal, you know, in the uprights, but it still points on the board at the end of the day. After that, it was silent ship. It was just, it, it was a void of nothing. Um, Calvin Ridley had 51 reception yards. Kyle Pitts only had 31. Um, the lead rusher had 54 yards. Um, a lot of questions need to be answered with Atlanta. Uh, I, I, I think that, the new coach might be a breath of fresh air, but I also think that something needs to be assessed on that front line or you're going to continue to have games like this and you're going to waste away the last remaining year or two of solidity of Matt Ryan. Because let's face it, he is older for football years, but he does know what he's doing. And you can just see the disgust on his face in the fourth quarter and the fact that he just, I don't want to say he sat out, but they put the backup in. What? I mean, that last hit he took, I honestly thought he was injured. The way that he got up and just the look on his face, you know, the man spent as much time under center as he did on his ass after he'd get hit. And, I again, I don't blame Matt Ryan for that. I 100% blame the offensive coordinator, the offensive line coach, and that offensive line themselves. They need to get that figured out. On the flip side of that game, I think Jalen Hurts definitely proved why him staying in Philly and then uh, giving Carson Wentz the axe was a very solid reason and 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 method for success for Philadelphia. Uh, he went 27th for 35, 264 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Miles Sanders had a good game with 74 yards, and you know his old buddy Devonta Smith. That little that little end zone end zone toss that they made together that was. Uh, that was a, a work of art, to be honest with you, and I'm very impressed by it. Um, question mark, more things to come. Are they the new face of the of the, the NFC East? Uh, you know, more at 11, I guess, is what they say on the news. Um, so we'll see about that. You know, some other, uh, you know, interesting games, I think we'll call it. Um, of course, the Jets and the Panthers, um, having Sam Darnold come out and – you know, play the way he played. He went 24 for 35, 279 yards and a touchdown. Um, I think he definitely showed uh, that he's good. 
I think this is just the final proof. If anyone needed any type of, of vindication that Adam Gase is a terrible coach, that was probably the best game he played uh, compared to last year, anytime under Adam Gase. So just let that marinate. Um, I know I was super critical of Zach Wilson coming out again. I'll give the boy some props. Um, you know, he went 20 for 37, 258 yards, two touchdowns. He did caught the ball up once, but it is, it is what it is. Um, Corey Davis was the, uh, the, the beneficiary of the pass yards at 97 yards, five receptions and two touchdowns. Um, people made fun of me for picking up Corey Davis in fantasy. And I'm glad to see that paid off because that definitely secured me a victory in one of my leagues. He's the tallest and he's the most senior receiver on that team. He is going to be a, a parental figure to Zach, to Zach Wilson. So I'm glad to see that that worked out. Hopefully it's learning curves. Um, you know, the Jets are, are, you know, got another game next week. You know, unfortunately we're playing the Patriots. It's going to be interesting uh, to see, because this is the first time in a very long time that a rookie quarterback from the Jets and the Patriots are playing each other in the first season. We haven't seen that in a very, very long time. So I'm pretty curious to see how that game is going to go. Um, again, hats off to him for at least reaching the effort out. Um, the Texans came out against the Jaguars. I think you and I definitely called that game wrong. Um, there's also some scuttlebutt right now that Urban Meyer is not fitting in very well uh, in Jacksonville. And he's, quote, unhinged by sources from ESPN. Um you know, maybe we might have another heart attack in the making and he goes back to college since USC has a uh, availability. So let's keep our eyeballs on that. Uh, Washington lost a very hard fought game against uh, the Chargers. I do want to talk about this for a very brief second. Um, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is believed to suffer a hip subluxation, which is essentially a hip dislocation. If that happened, that's pretty much his season's done. And his career is essentially done based on his age. Um, you know, Fitzpatrick, he may not have ever won a, uh, a Super Bowl, haven't, hasn't had a lot of winning seasons, but they don't call him Fitz Magic for no reason. So hopefully he gets a speedy recovery and, uh, you know, all that pomp and circumstance. Uh, some other ones, the Dolphins uh, squeaked one over the, the Patriots, the Chiefs, had a very hard-fought victory against the Cleveland Browns. I know you picked them to be kind of the trap team of the NFL this season um, with the, when we did our Super Bowl predictions. Um, I would say probably one of the most entertaining games to watch, though, was the Saints and Packers game. So uh, Jameis Winston, of course, I've been very critical of him over his career just due to the fact that, well, you know, it's Jameis Winston. Um I, I think he came out knowing that he had to prove something. He only threw for 148 yards, but he threw for five touchdowns, which is the most with the fewest yards. So definitely hats off to him for that. Um, Saints played dominant on both sides of the ball. Rodgers came out and, and just looked god-awful. If, if this was a movie, it, it was almost like Nicolas Cage was playing Aaron Rodgers in a movie about Aaron Rodgers' life. And it's like, and it goes to the cameo where the camera freezes and like something bad is going on. And it's like, hey, you're probably wondering how I got here. That's how I feel like it. I don't know if Aaron Rodgers has had an off day for the first time in his entire professional career, or is he just going to try to sandbag it the entire season to get Green Bay pissed off enough to trade him? 
Uh, I think the writing is on the wall that he didn't want to be in Green Bay this season. I think even Helen Keller was able to see and hear that. Um, this is going to be a, a very troubling sign for, for you know, the upcoming uh, season here, especially for those ones that decided to have Devontae Adams as a keeper or a draft pick and a high-dollar draft pick. Um, if you got a quarterback that ain't happy there, he's not going to make a lot of good passes, and you might be in some trouble on that. Um, the Monday night game, uh, you know, I, the, the Raiders won twice, essentially. Uh, hats off to them for that. Um, that. That was a pretty solid game. And then, of course, the Steelers upset the Bills. I, you know, that's, again, one of the games that we called wrong. Um, overall, it's a very exciting week one. I'm looking forward to uh, to week two. You know, tomorrow night we got the uh, Washington football team and the Giants. And we got some pretty solid matchups uh, going into the next week. So if there's any games you want to cover, anything you want to – I know you probably want to pipe a, a penny or two on the Falcons, so I'll let you uh, do your thing now. Well, what I will say is I got to say some for the video too. So all, all I'm going to say is this. When I, when I hear people talk about and, – and Twitter was like, oh, well, clearly the old line's the problem. Let, let's start there. But when I hear people say on Twitter, or oh, if we had a mobile – like, look, I don't care if you had Justin Fields, Mrs. Fields, W.C. Fields, ain't nobody – they were going to get sacked in that game. Because as you mentioned, when you're in that shotgun, that, in, that eight, in that formation, Chris, by the time the ball reaches Matt Ryan's hand, he has to immediately snap it, and the routes that are being run cannot develop quick enough for him to make a, a decent throw. This is when people talk about oh, blaming the quarterback. Look, it's 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 easy to blame the quarterback because they make the most money. Look at any company. Who you don't blame the you don't blame the person in the mail room. No, we always blame the people at the top because they make the most money. And on most teams, the quarterback is making the most money. Oh, Matt Ryan, there's no zip on the ball. Stop it. Even as bad as last year was, Matt Ryan was a bright spot. He was a clear, clear bright spot. And when we talk about quarterbacks, and that seems to be the running theme of the episode, is that look? I'm I can be objective. Listen, Matt Ryan. Were there some throws that were sure? But understand this. I also understand that this guy had just enough time as you put in popcorn in the oven, if not in the microwave, if not less time to throw the ball. I say, folks, when you watch football, understand it's easy to blame the quarterback. It's easy to blame the quarterback it's a lot harder to look in the mirror because if you're a fan if you're a true fan you hold people accountable the right people accountable show me where it was matt ryan's fault because they had six points i said i argue that maybe the defense let jalen hurts you know come out there who, who was in his what fifth or sixth career start, come out there and essentially play like a national championship game was playing with Devontae Smith. 
Focus on the defense. That was the big problem why Dan Quinn out, was out the door. Offensively, yes, we lost Julio, but that offensive line was a problem. And the guy you drafted in Jalen Mayfield had the worst rating in PP, you know, in, in pro football focus. Like, we got to start, Chris, changing the narrative on, on who we blame. You could have, listen, Arthur Smith, this falls on his this falls on his table. He's in the press conference. Oh, oh, well, I didn't, you know, prepare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Captain Obvious. Thank you. Tell, tell, tell me something that I don't know. Because what I don't know is why, why in the Usher confessions did Matt Ryan not, did not. Yeah. You, you left it open. Yeah, yeah. I knew it was coming. My fault. I say, why in the Usher's confession did Matt Ryan not take a snap in preseason? There's a reason for that. Because this is still a new offense. I don't care. Tom Brady was out there taking a snap in preseason. Every single major quarterback was. You know, and, and to piggyback off your comment with about losing Julio Jones, you're right, you did. I think that last season... And one of the factors why I think Julio left is he wasn't the star anymore. Calvin Ridley is the slot receiver. He is the go-to yeah. man. He's the yeah. number – yeah, I, I think – but, but that was – you know, I think you could kind of – you know, Julio, when you're used to being at the top, you you can't be the second anymore. Exactly. And, he, and you got to go somewhere where you're now trying to be number one. Now, in return of losing Julio – you did gain Kyle Pitts, which I'm sure if you line up the numbers, probably run a 40 speed in the same capacity. You have the adding blocking capability of Kyle Pitts of putting him on the line. And now you're able to run more two tight end package sets where you can bury your true intentions of the play. Because if you line up in a two tight end set, most of the time it's a run play. But when you have a tight end running a wheel route or uh, a, a quick slant or an out or something with Kyle Pitts, you can put it up to him just like you're able to with Julio Jones and make him jump and bring the ball down. You also have Hayden Hurst, who last year I think proved his competency on both blocking and passing. We will pick up the discussion here. And we'll dive into Chris's week two fantasy football stardom and cinem in the episode entitled Here to Fulfill Your Fantasy Football for Week Two. So after you listen to this, check out that episode and enjoy more of the sports and the world podcast.